Well, have you ever had someone describe to you, and they're telling you all of these things about this person, you finally met them, and you're like, yeah, that, well, that was not like what was described to me. They are nothing like in the pictures of the way you told me they were. You know, sometimes we get mental pictures in our minds about certain people, and it just, whenever we finally see them, it's just like, nah, maybe it's a character in a book. You fell in love with this character in a book, and they finally make a movie about, you know, this character that you've fallen in love with, and you're like, eh, they just didn't do the book justice. That character, that's not the way they describe that character in the book. It doesn't match it. You know, sometimes we, we get these mental pictures of, of these characters in the Bible, and, you know, they're just, they don't align sometimes with what our minds think about. You know, once we get a particular image in our brain, it's almost impossible to get out. You know, take Moses, for instance. When I think of Moses, I see Charleston Heston in my mind's eye about ready to part the Red Sea. Such is the power of the silver screen for anybody over the age of 50. I would you know, venture to guess that I doubt there's many people under the age of, say, 40 that have ever even seen the Ten Commandments and Charleston Heston. Very few. I saw one hand. Very few. If you're younger and you maybe you think about Moses, you think about the movie Prince of Egypt. Moses comes to mind as a completely different character. At least you're not thinking about the Charleston Heston version of Moses. All of that is harmless enough, but sometimes our imaginations get in the way of reality. And Moses is a good example. Moses, most of us think of Moses as a hero in the faith, which he is. He stood up to Pharaoh. He led the children of Israel across the Red Sea. He received the, the Ten Commandments and spoke with God. All those things are true, but there is another side to the story in the life of Moses. If you'll roll back the tape to not all the way to the beginning, but Moses was anything but a hero. When the Lord spoke to Moses in the burning bush, he told them this, Moses, I've got a big job for you to do. Put your sandals back on and head for Egypt. I want you to talk to Pharaoh for me. It's the job that he had given Moses. The only problem was Moses did not want any part of what God wanted him to do. He had two objections to the whole plan. First, he didn't want to tangle with Pharaoh. He wanted nothing to do with the most powerful man in the world. And second, he did not think the people of Israel would follow him. In short, he thought the whole idea was a disaster and that maybe God should look somewhere else for a leader. That brings us to our text for today. And we'll, before we get there, we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 3, verses 11. Let's get a takeaway for us today, the main idea of today's message, and that is when God calls us to get in the game, don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. Before we jump into the text, let's note here just a little bit of background about our character Moses. At this point in his life, he is almost 80 years old. I'll be thankful if I just see 80, much less 
God wanting me to do something like he's asking Moses to do. We could hardly blame him if he felt he was too old and the job was too hard for him. As for his two objections, both were rooted in reality. It's not as if Moses is making this, his excuses up. Pharaoh wouldn't be glad to see him, and he didn't want to let the Jews go home to Israel. I mean, why would he? He was getting free slave labor. As for the second objection, Moses had every reason to worry about how his countrymen would receive him. After all, he had been gone for 40 years, and the last time they saw him, he was running from the law. Why would they be happy to see him? I don't blame Moses for having his doubts. Moses was just like you and I. Psychologists tell us about the imposter syndrome, which means you secretly think you aren't qualified for the job. You're a faker waiting to be exposed. We've all felt that way maybe at one point in another when it comes to our jobs or even maybe even being a parent or something like that. Moses, we'll see here today, makes five excuses to the Lord about why he isn't qualified to get in the game. He gives us five excuses. Let's see if these sound familiar to our life, and then we'll draw some application at the end. Excuse number one, he says, I'm unqualified. Let's pick up in chapter 3, verse 11 of Exodus. It says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? It's like, I'm not qualified. Who am I? I'm just a shepherd in the backside of nowhere. How am I going to lead the people out? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Was he unqualified? Yeah, he was. From a human point of view, he's not a likely prospect to go toe-to-toe with the most powerful ruler on the face of the earth at this time. After all, he had been gone a long time, and when he left, he had killed an Egyptian. And his reputation wasn't the best. If you're looking for a candidate to lead God's people out of Egypt, Moses would not have been at the top of the list. God's whole reply to Moses can be summed up in five words. Yeah, you're not qualified, but I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. That's the bottom line. Nothing else matters. If God is with Moses, he cannot fail. When Moses says, I can't do this, God's answer is, yeah, you're right. You can't, but I can. I can, and I am with you. So his first excuse is, I'm unqualified. And maybe we feel that way sometimes in our lives when God is working in our heart to do something. We say, I can't do that. I'm in whatever excuse we want to give. I'm an introvert. I am not comfortable doing this. I don't have these talents. And God's saying, I want you to step out of your comfort zone, get out from tending the sheep, Moses, 
and do what I'm calling you to do. And I know you can do it because I'm with you. You can't, but I can through you. Excuse number two. He says, they don't know me. I've been gone for 40 years, God. (laughs) They don't know me. The Moses said to God, verse 13, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? It's true he'd been gone for 40 years. A whole generation had risen up that knew nothing about about Moses. If they heard anything about him, it would have been that he was a fugitive from the law. He killed an Egyptian, hid his body, then ran off to the desert, and no one had seen him again. This guy Moses, who, was, who had been in the palace with Pharaoh, who had been watched over by Pharaoh's daughter, who had grown up in royalty, just disappeared. So this excuse contains a kernel of truth, but that's not the issue. The question is not, who are you? But the question is, who sent you? Who sent you? In the old days, you got a job through patronage. That's how you received the job. You knew someone who knew someone who could get you that job. There was not the Indeed or Monster.com or all of these job sites that you would go on to and upload your resume. You know, back in the old days, it was you knew somebody who knew somebody, my cousin's brother's nephew, whatever, that could get you this job. One day, a man went to a certain office asking for a job, but no one knew him. And so the question was, who sent you? The answer came back, no one. The man in charge replied, we don't want no one nobody sent, was the response. And that's a good principle to remember in spiritual matters. If you come on your own authority, it means nothing. Who sent you? God knew the people would ask Moses that question, so he prepared him with an answer. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. That simple phrase of I am contains the essential truth about who God is. He is the personal, eternal, self-existent God of the universe. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. One of the things about the book of Exodus is we find for the first time in Scripture God revealing himself of his character, of who he is to his people. By essentially saying, I am, he's saying, I am above all things, beneath all things, behind all things, and in front of all things. Think of it this way. According to his name, he is the essence of whatever you need in that moment. I am your strength. I am your courage. I am your health. I am your hope. I am your supply. I am your defender. I am your deliverer. I am your forgiveness. I am your joy. I am your future. God is saying in his name to you and to me, I am whatever you need whenever you need it. That should give us comfort. To know 
that that is the God that we serve. So he tells Moses, tell them I am has sent you. He is the all-sufficient God for every crisis. Go to the elders of Israel. Tell them what I told you. They will believe you. Go to Pharaoh. He won't cooperate, but I'll work miracles, and he will let you go. Plunder the Egyptians on your way out. Ask for gold and silver, and they will give it to you. In other words, don't worry about the future, Moses. I have a plan. I am sending you. The second excuse is they don't know me. You're right, they don't, but they know the great I am, and that is who has sent you. Excuse number three, they won't believe me. (laughs) So now Moses has another what-if question for God. Then Moses answered here in in chapter 4, verse 1, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. That's a very possible and likely thing to happen. Moses had a checkered past. After being raised by Pharaoh's daughter, he rejected Egypt and chose to suffer with God's people. But then murdering an Egyptian, covering it up and running away. He had been gone for 40 years. Now he shows up saying God had spoken to him by a burning bush in the desert. Seems kind of suspect, doesn't it? Seems kind of strange. There's no way the Jews will believe this story. It sounds too crazy. God knew that, so he asked Moses a question. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. It was common for a shepherd to have a shepherd's staff that they would walk with. You no doubt have seen them in the nativity scene of the shepherds that have the hook. They can grab the sheep and pull them back. So he's asking Moses here, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, it's just a staff. No doubt he probably found it in the wilderness. What's the point? God is going to show him that he will use the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Verse 3, and he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it, as he should. It's a snake. But the Lord said to Moses, Put it out of your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put it in his hand and caught it, and and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So he tells Moses, "Here's here's how I'm going to demonstrate that what you are saying is true. I'm going to work this miracle where you throw your staff on the ground. It's going to turn to a snake. You're going to grab that snake, and it's going to turn back into a staff. Now, if you know anything about your pastor, I hate snakes. The only good snake is a dead snake. And you say, oh, Pastor Robert, you know, those black racers, those are good ones because they kill the other bad snakes. I don't care. If it's any snake that's anywhere near me, it it needs to go because I am going to remove it from this earth. I just do not like 
snakes. And I think that may come back to as I was a kid, and I've told you guys this story before, but when I was a kid, I'd always had to go out to, we had a well, and I had to go out and manually turn the water, the sprinklers to water our grass in the backside of our house, go outside, turn the water on, and then my dad, before I go to bed, to go back outside with my flashlight and turn it off. Well, we had a screen porch, and one night I'm walking out, and this king snake had gotten up somehow on top of the ledge on our screen porch, and as I went out the door, the king snake fell on top of me, and I lost my marbles. And yeah, ever since then, I have not been a fan of snakes. So if I was Moses, I'd say, yeah, God, you're going to give me something else <laughs> because I'm not touching. I am not touching that snake. You know, so we, we have this. So God gives him actually three. He gives him this wooden staff showing that God can work miracles through ordinary objects. And the second one was the leprous hands. We're not going to read those for time, but in verses 6 to 8, he says, Moses, stick your hand into your, your coat and pull it back out. His hand was full of leprosy. And he stuck it back in and pulled it out. And the leprosy was gone. That was the second one. The third was to grab water from the Nile River and throw it on the ground. And that water from the Nile River turned into blood right there on the ground, foreshadowing a, a preview of the first plague that was going to come to Egypt. This was God's way of saying to Moses, I've got your back. As long as you obey, my power will convince the people that I am with you. All I'm asking you to do is obey me and get in the game. Let's go, Moses. Don't miss the original question Moses asked God. He's essentially saying, what if? We all want to bargain with God. What if they don't believe me? Something in us makes us slightly suspicious when God is asking us to do something. Now, Lord, what if I get in trouble for speaking up for you at the office or in the classroom? Now, Lord, what if I get in, if I, if, if I volunteer to teach kids class? And the kids ask me a question about the Bible that I don't know. Or the kids turn out to be brats. Can I get out of it? <laughs> Moses had the same problem we all have. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do. It was perfectly clear. God was telling him what he wanted him to do. Moses, you're the man to lead my people out of Egypt. That was the whole job description. Moses' problem wasn't his knowledge. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do. His problem wasn't his education. He grew up in the palace. He was educated or his family background. God had already taken care of all of that. Moses' problem is a problem that we all face. And that problem was fear. Moses was full of fear. He was afraid it wouldn't work out right if he did what God wanted him to do. What if I share my faith with my coworker and they ask me something about the Bible or about Christianity that I don't know? What if they reject me? All of these fear-based things that we get wrapped up in when God is calling us to get in the game. Like maybe Pharaoh would have thrown him to the crocodiles or the children of Israel would laugh at him. Moses wanted assurance of the result before he took the first step. He's like us. We're the same way. So he's out here 
by this burning bush, running by all these what-ifs by God Almighty. Some audacity, isn't it? The God of the universe and Moses is running by these what-ifs. We do the same thing. That's why we hesitate to obey God so many times. We are trying to what-if the Almighty. When God calls you to get in the game, if we are obedient, he will take care of all of those what-ifs. All of your little what-ifs that paralyze us are just wasted time. As long as you are saying what if, you aren't obeying, you're negotiating, and there is a big, big difference. To obey means you say, Lord, I'm ready, I'm willing, and I know that you are going to work out all of the details. Negotiating means saying, Lord, you work out the details, and then I'll obey. That's not obedience. That's negotiating. All Moses has to do is obey, and God will take care of the rest. For Moses, there was one issue and one issue alone, and that's the same issue for us today, and that is, will I obey? God is working in my heart. The question is, will I obey? Excuse number four that he gives. I can't do it. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Essentially, Moses is telling God, I, I'm not good with my words. Maybe Moses had a, you know, a, a stutter. Maybe he just struggled getting words out. And maybe he thought the Lord would fix this problem if he brought it up. Like, you know, God didn't know this already that he struggled to talk. If he's maybe he's saying, if I sign up, will you make me eloquent in my speech? That's the deal, right? God's answer comes in the form of a question to Moses. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who made your mouth, Moses? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? <laughs> he's saying, Moses, who created you? Do I not know you better than anyone else? Do I not know your abilities? God is saying to Moses, you are inadequate because I made you that way, but your weakness is a part of my plan so I can show the world how glorious your God is. God promised to give Moses whatever he needs in spite of his weakness. All I'm asking you to do, Moses, is go and speak to Pharaoh, and I'll take care of the rest. The rest is up to God. Excuse number five, last one. Essentially, and this is where we land today, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I can remember telling that to my dad. Whenever he'd ask me to do it, Dad, I really don't want to do it. Well, I don't care what you want to do. This is what I'm telling you to do. That would be the response that I would get from him. And it would be, and if you don't do that, I'm going to give you a little something to help you do it. That would, would be the, the response. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. We finally get to the, the heart of the problem. He gives all these excuses. We finally get to the end of, I don't want to do it. God has called Moses, and he doesn't want to do it. No wonder God is angry. 
But even now, God has an answer to this objection. If Moses can't speak, his brother Aaron will speak for him. Perhaps Moses, maybe he had stage fright or maybe something else. Maybe he was a fast thinker and a slow talker. God's solution is simple. He will tell Moses what to say. He'll tell it. Moses will convey that to Aaron, and Aaron, his brother, will do the speaking. When we get to the end of all of our excuses, God says to us what he said to Moses. Trust me, and when you do, I can do more than you can even imagine. Make yourself available to me, and I will do amazing things in your life. So a couple of quick applications for us today as we think about this story of Moses in front of this burning bush. Can you imagine having a conversation with God Almighty? Just this story, the, the, the background of the story is just phenomenal if you think about it. God has the same question for you and me that he asked Moses. What's in your hand? What is in your hand? You remember when he asked Moses that and Moses is holding on to his staff? A staff may not seem like much, but when you place it at God's disposal, it can be part of a miracle. Everyone has something in their hands. Your something won't necessarily be the same something that your neighbor has in their hands. Maybe you have a gift for writing, a gift for for talent or singing. Maybe you have a desire to care for the needy. Maybe you have financial resources or a time to just love and care for other people. Maybe that is where your heart is. We need people who say, I just want to love and be a blessing and put my arm and be an encouragement to other people. I'm learning in this world people who have that desire may be the greatest talent in our world today. Maybe you have the ability to be a painter, an architect, teacher, nurse, accountant, administrator. Maybe you have children or grandchildren that need your guidance. Maybe you may teach kids at church, or maybe you can be someone in first impressions host on Sunday mornings, or maybe you, you can work in other areas and ministries of our church, but everyone has something in their hand that God has given to them, that God wants to work and use it for your good and for his glory. Don't waste one second complaining. You can't do what someone else can do. God has placed something in your hand. Use it for his glory. Number two, God will equip you with everything you need to do his will. Moses is the only person in history that God spoke to from a burning bush. That didn't happen to Abraham, didn't happen to David, Joshua, Nehemiah, none of the disciples. Moses is the only one. Moses had seen God's glory. Think about that. He had seen the glory of God. Earlier in that passage that we skipped, we didn't read, told him to take off his sandals because the area he was standing was holy ground. All of these things that are just remarkable things. And what was Moses' response? 
send somebody else. Think about the audacity to tell God that. No wonder God was angry with him. It's one thing to wait for confirmation, but while we wait, we ought to think and pray, read our Bibles, and consult with wise counselors. At some point, waiting by faith becomes stalling, stalling for what God wants. There's a little Moses in all of us. Don't make God angry by saying no when he calls. When God calls, will we obey? When we read it in the word of God, will we obey? When a friend gives us a godly piece of advice we recognize is of the Lord, will we obey? When we dare say yes to God, even when it hurts, that's when God begins to do marvelous things in your life. We look and say, God, I don't know how this is going to happen, but this is what I know you want me to do. I'm going to step out by faith. That's when we see the miracles begin. It's a big step forward spiritually when we can say, Lord, I'll get in the game. I'll get off the sidelines. Here I am. Send me. So we come again to the bottom line. When God calls, do not make excuses. May God give us the grace to say, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to get in the game. How is the Lord convicting your heart this morning about an area that he wants to use you? Let's pray.